Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the Hospital Finance Podcast. I'm joined today by Greg Fleezar, who is a member of the law firm Cozen O'Connor, where he focuses on health law and handles a variety of health law litigation and regulatory and compliance matters for a number of different types of healthcare providers. Greg is here today to explain recent PRRB updates and what they mean for hospitals. Greg, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. So, Greg, why don't you start off by telling us when the new rules took effect? Yeah, the new rules were actually published on August 29th, 2018, and and they took effect immediately. Um, There was a lot of providers that were, took a little bit of umbrage at that. They were hoping that the PRB might send out some proposed rules where they could comment on them, but the PR, but uh, CMS just went ahead and, and published the rules and they were effective immediately, which means that, you know, any cases, any new cases that were filed after August 29th, 2018, certainly had to follow the new rules, but also any pending cases. So if you had a case uh, that you'd filed let's say in June of, of 2018, um, once the new rules took effect for those pending cases, you have to follow those rules as well. So um, it's, it's for both new and pending cases and it started on August 29th of 2018. Okay, so let's dive into some specifics around these uh, new rules and, and some other matters surrounding it. So first, why don't you tell us um, what is the Office of Hearings, Case, and Document Management System, and what does that mean for filing PRRB appeals? Right. I think this is one of the most important um, differences in the rules is that the PRRB is finally moving into the sort of modern age of electronic filing. Essentially, what what the Office of Hearings and Case Document Management System is, is a web-based portable for electronic filing, sort of as we have with the federal court system or even, you know, most of the local courts now have electronic filing. So instead of running to the prosonotary's office, or in this case, trying to FedEx uh, your your appeal request on time to get to the PRB in Baltimore, now you can do it electronically. Um, so I think that's a real step in the in, in the positive direction, probably trying to streamline things and, and make things easier for folks. Um, essentially, the way it's going to work is parties can can enter and maintain their their initial appeal. They can enter their initial appeal through the portal. Uh, they can maintain, you know, correspondence with the PRB through that, with, whether it's motions, whether it's requests, whether um, it's any correspondence at all. That's going to be through the portal with the PRRB. Um, access to specific cases, though, is going to be limited to the parties of each case and their representatives. So it's not going to be a wide open system where, for example, if I know there's an interesting PRRB case in, in California that I want to follow, um, I can't get onto the system and follow that. It's really just for the parties themselves to get onto it. Um, right now, it's still in the rollout phase, um, so it's optional. I, but it's strongly encouraged. The rules strongly encourage you to use this. They want people to get onto it. They want people to get used to it. Um, I think it's going to go mandatory at some point in time. We're not there yet. Um, I'm sure there's still a few glitches in the system here and there. But again, they, they strongly recommend it. Um, the good part is, too, uh, all filings will receive a, an, an automatic confirmation of correspondence to document the filing. So you'll, 
you know, you have that documentation that you filed and then hopefully that you filed it on time. Um, the board will also use the portal to communicate with the parties um, via email, you know, for example, giving out the acknowledgement letter that we've acknowledged your, you know, we acknowledge that we have your appeal, the notice of hearing, which sets the, the basic deadlines in the case. Those are all going to come through the portal. Um, you know, one good thing about this is also, um, well, I think that sometimes it's a double-edged sword, but um, previously, if you had to get something into the PRB, you know, you have 180 days uh, from your NPR to get your appeal in. And if you're like most of us, you wait to the very last minute and you're trying to FedEx it out and make sure it gets to the PRB. And it had to get to the PRRB, the paper format, by 4 o'clock Eastern time. Now you have till 11.59 Eastern time, 11.59 p.m. to get it there electronically. So that gives you some extra time if you need it. Uh, although, again, the double-edged sword is that, you know, you still may, you may be there till 10 or 11 o'clock if you're working on something that's at the last minute. But it gives you that flexibility. You don't have to um, FedEx it out and worry about if it's going to get there on time or not. You, you can do it electronically. You're going to get immediate response back. Um, Sounds like an improvement. And one, excuse me. Yeah, it does sound like a good improvement. I think one thing is yet, though, they, I think they're going to be ready to handle everything except for it looks like the system's not ready to handle, if you're doing a group appeal, the, um, the schedule of providers and the jurisdiction, jurisdiction documentation. If you've done group appeals, uh, you know, a fairly large number of groups, you know, that can be a pretty large document, and it doesn't seem like their web portal system's ready to to take that on yet. Um, so that's the one thing that has to be done no matter what by paper, even if you're you're doing this. And I think it's one thing, um, I haven't used it myself. Uh, there's some others who have wrote, written about it that said that it takes a little while to register onto the system. So I think if you're planning ahead and you want to go ahead and do some electronic filing, I think the first step is to get yourself registered through the PRRB uh, that's in the rules about how to do that. And I think that's probably your first step. I think if you try and wait to the last minute and get registered and then file your PRB appeal, um, you might be pushing your luck a little bit. So I would, I would suggest that folks, you know, if you're interested in the filing, try and start, you know, sooner rather than later getting yourself registered and, and set up for it. Good advice. Uh, Greg, what are the new requirements for position papers? Yeah, this is another big difference uh, compared to the old rules. Under the old rules, uh, you, you had your preliminary position paper, and that only went to the MAC. You know, the MAC would send their preliminary position paper to, to the provider, the provider would send theirs to the MAC, and each side would send the PRB just the first page of the paper and the exhibit list. That was it. The PRB really didn't get involved much with the preliminary position papers. And I think if I recall, the you know the, the purpose of that was just to get the parties talking, that maybe they could resolve the issue once they saw what each other's arguments were and concerns were. Um, but a lot of times, I think you know a lot of folks would would do sort of a bare bones preliminary position paper, and then really sort of beef it up in the final paper, knowing that that's what the board was going to get. Well, that's drastically changed now. Um, Right now, under the new rules, the provider and the MAC not only exchange the preliminary papers between themselves, but they have to send it to the board. And that's going to be the prime position paper that the board looks at. In fact, um, you know, you're, you have to file the full position paper and all the exhibits with the PRB. And the PRB and the new rules say that any new arguments and documents that are not included in the preliminary position paper 
uh, may be excluded at hearing unless the parties can show good cause otherwise. So you've really got to get your arguments and exhibits fully developed and you've got to put them in the preliminary position paper. Otherwise, you're going to lose those arguments. They may not accept them at hearing. Um, no, no, for the, this is all for the new appeals. These are for appeals that are filed after August 29th. Um, and it makes the, the final position paper for those new appeals, the final position paper is now optional. The parties don't have to do it. Um, you're welcome to do it if you want to, but it can't really bring up any new issues. It's really supposed to refine the issues. Say, for example, you had three issues and maybe one was resolved. You can use that as a vehicle to let the PRB know. Um, or if there's been any sort of development in the law since then, maybe there was a case law, you know, a case in, in district court that came out uh, that affects, you know, your arguments one way or the other, or there's a PRRB decision that affects your arguments one way or another that came out since, since the initial paper, you can add that into the preliminary, in, into the final paper, excuse me. Um, again, it's just really supposed to refine issues and, and bring up new law. Um, and it's optional, which is very different from before where you had an initial preliminary paper that the PRB never saw and in the final paper was really what they relied on. Now the PRB is really relying on that initial paper. So you've really got to get your ducks in a row. You've got to have all your exhibits. You've got to have all your arguments laid out. Otherwise you may, you may, have, you may waive them um, at hearing. Um, now for, for appeals that are pending that were filed before August 29th, you still have the final position paper requirement. It's only, this change is really only for those that are filed after August 29th. And I think, again, I think this is a way of streamlining, just as I think that the electronic transfer, electronic um, portal is gonna help streamline the filing of these papers. Um, I think this, with the position papers, I think this is gonna help streamline the process as well and get you moving toward the hearing quicker. And as we all know, there's a little bit of a backlog right now at the PRRB. So I think this is one way to reduce some of the requirements and try and have a little, little more speedy process. Greg, what do the new rules require for the transfer of issues from an individual appeal to a common issue related party or a CIRP appeal? Right, yeah, they would commonly refer to them as the CHIRPs, uh, the CHIRP appeals. Right, for providers under, under you know, who are under a common interest or control, if you're going to transfer an issue from an individual appeal to a group appeal, which happens a lot of times, um, now you really have to make sure that you get that before you file this preliminary position paper. As I said, the preliminary paper is really the paper, and the board wants to make sure that all the transfers, that the group is fully formed um, before either you file your preliminary position paper or a filing of a joint scheduling order. So you've really got to get those in pretty quickly. Um, you just can't wait till after the fact and start adding case, you know, adding other members to the group who had filed individual appeals. And tell me about the new uh, reinstatement option that allows providers to preserve their appeal while trying to work out a resolution with the MAC. Right. Yeah, this is a new one. Um, this is uh, rule 47 point. Um, 2.3, I believe it is. There's a lot of different rules and a lot of machinations of it. But for this one, I think it's interesting. I think this is if you're in a situation where you're sort of up against your 180-day limit, you're up against the deadline to file your appeal, um, but you think you can work this out with the MAC. Uh, but in order to protect your appeal rights, what you can do is, under the new rules, you can file your appeal, um, get it, you know, file your appeal timely, and then you withdraw the appeal. Um, 
after you withdraw the appeal, then you would send a letter to the MAC asking for reopening and to see if they can discuss and resolve the issues. Uh, you know, the MAC can either deny the reopening, can either agree with you in that case, or you can either deny the reopening or can actually accept the reopening. And once it accepts the reopening, the MAC can either decide, okay, we understand, we're, we're with you on this one, and then you resolve the matter and it goes away, or the MAC could still deny the reimbursement. So in those cases where the MAC either refuses to reopen uh, the case, you refuse to reopen, or if they deny your reimbursement continually, you can now go back and file a motion for reinstatement to have your case brought back, and it will be brought back. You just have to include in your motion for reinstatement a copy of the reopening request and the correspondence from the MAC that essentially denied the reopening or denied your relief request. So it's a chance to see if you can work it out with the MAC while still preserving your appeal rights. I think that's something that could be useful for a lot of providers who think they have an issue that they, especially if they have good relationships with their MAC, um, their, their contractor, that they can maybe preserve the appeal, file it, withdraw it, see if they can work it out with the MAC. If that doesn't work out, they can reinstate and appeal starts back up again. And Greg, what about uh, post-hearing briefs? Right. These are now going to be, uh, whereas they were pretty much standard fare before, now post-hearing briefs will only be accepted if requested by the board at the close of the hearing. Um, and again, I think this is also to try and streamline the process um, instead of waiting to get, you know, the briefs in and review the briefs and everything else. They're, I think they're trying to put more emphasis on the hearing. And obviously, that puts more emphasis not only on the hearing, but on your closing argument. So you've really got to, you know, you can't just rely on your post-hearing brief to, to be the last word. The last word most likely is going to be your closing statement. So I think that's going to be something that uh, you've really got to put a lot of effort into and make sure that you've got all your points across and that the board clearly understands what your position is. Before we finish up, Greg, do you have any other quick takeaways or practice tips for our audience? Sure, yeah. And again, um, we're just going over the highlight of the rules. I mean, it's a 90-page document. So I think first off, I think one of the takeaways is just and practice point is just if you've if you've if you're about to file a case or if you've already filed one it's pending and you haven't looked at the new rules yet i really suggest that you do there's some nuances throughout we just highlighted some of the real big differences uh some of the big changes in the rules but you know there's nuances throughout that are little tweaks here and there so i think it's very important because as we all know um a lot of times you've got a lot of money at stake in these appeals the, as a hospital or a hospital system, and you don't want to be tripped up and, and, and lose your appeal rights by not following some of the technical rules that are in here. So I, I, the first takeaway is, is make sure you take a good read through the rules. And not only that, at the, end of the, at the end of the rules, they have the appendices that have the different model forms. For example, you know, model form A is the form you file when you're, when you're submitting an individual appeal model Form B is the form you file when you're doing a group appeal. Those have all changed. There's new versions of those, and that's all included in the rules in the back. So you have to make sure that you're using the right form, that you're not using a form from the previous rules. I think that's going to be very important. Um, and it'd be a shame to have an appeal kicked out um, for filing the wrong form. Um, so again, read through the rules. Make sure you're familiar with some of the new changes. Um, look at, at the back of the appendices. Make sure you're using the right form in the revised form. Um, two other real quick issues, I think, um, they clarify in here that, you know, some issues like, like 
disproportionate share of hospital payments, graduate medical education, they may have multiple components to them. They may have multiple issues with them. Um, to comply with the regulatory requirement to specifically identify the items in dispute, each contested component must be appealed as a separate issue and described as narrowly as possible. So essentially what they're saying is, say for example, you have a disproportionate share hospital or dish appeal. That can be many things. So it's, it's not gonna be enough to pass muster on your um, appeal request just to say that we have, pro, you know, we, we um, reject the disproportionate share payment. You have to actually talk about what part of the disproportionate share payment you're talking about and what are the reasons. Is it, is it the SSI piece? Are you talking about a Section 1115 waiver day appeal? Are you talking about trying to include state general assistance days in the Medicare dish calculation? You, you just have to be specific and lay it out. You just can't say Medicare dish, you know, we challenge the Medicare dish payment or we challenge the GME payment. You've got to really focus on what part of the issue you're talking about. Um, and I think another thing that's, that's interesting and, and it's part of, I think, the modernization of, of the PRRB is that they actually have a rule 35-4 where they're really encouraging the use of visual aids at that hearing. They're talking about using things such as PowerPoints and diagrams and, and large print copies that can be sort of blown up and shown uh, to the other side. So it looks again, just like they're doing with the electronic filing, I think they're trying to look to more towards an electronic courtroom as well, as you see in a lot of federal courts and a lot of state courts where folks bring in PowerPoints and they bring in copies of contracts that they can put up on the screen and or regulations and so forth. Uh, that's really what they're looking for. They think that's gonna be helpful in the hearing process. Um, if you're gonna do that, you have to make sure that you include whatever PowerPoints or diagrams you're gonna use as exhibits um, ahead of time. And you also have to share those with the other side. So, you know, I think that's, that's gonna be important when you get to hearing to make sure that you've got some, some good visual aids as well. It looks like they just don't want to sit there and listen to it. They want to, they want to be shown what the reg is or be shown what your position is. So I think things like PowerPoints, um, you know, blown up uh, picture of the regulation and issue that you're dealing with, those are all going to be helpful. Great insights today, Greg. If someone uh, in our audience would like to learn more about what you do or, or get into contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure, you can always give me a call. It's 215-665-4737 um, it's or uh, my email address. I have a funny last name, so it's, uh, it's G as in Greg, F as in Frank, L, I, S as in Sam, Z as in Zebra, A, R at Cozen, C-O-Z-E-N dot com. So, you know, either way, feel free to reach me and um, be more than happy to talk about it with you. Greg, thank you so much again for stopping by the Hospital Finance Podcast today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it, Michael. And um, again, I appreciate the opportunity to work with Bessler on, uh, on your podcast, which are always very helpful. Thanks, Greg. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.